Well, welcome home, where there's always room for one more. Good morning, welcome in, glad you're here. Have you been surviving the heat this week? Oh, no, it's been a scorcher, literally, in Keene. There was a fire just across the highway yesterday, thankfully. No lives were lost, no uh, property damaged other than just grassy fields. We're glad you're here this morning in the cool good place to hear about the gospel. Thank you, praise team, for leading us this morning in songs. Here's where we're headed today. It's up on the screen. Hello, my name is the one speaking to you. We've been going through this series on how Jesus introduces himself in the gospel of John. And astute Bible scholars that you are, I even got a text from somebody last week said, hey, I'm sad that the series is finished. And I said, whoa, the series isn't done. We may have hit the overt ways that Jesus introduced himself, being the, the bread of life, bring, being the, the light of the world. This week, we begin kind of the last part of the series that looks at the maybe more obscure places, the places that if you're just reading, you may miss it for a moment, but Jesus makes unequivocal claims about his Christology, that he is the Christ. And today we're gonna be in John chapter four, looking at the woman at the well. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter four. You're looking at the woman at the well. Pastor Mike and I didn't coordinate this, didn't plan it. He actually moved this sermon uh, that he's preaching in the other services on the woman at the well to this Sabbath. And I was, as I was looking at this over the past couple weeks, I said, hey, we've got to hit this one this week. And somehow they align. So if you're here for first service, we've covered this. You're going to get a maybe slightly different perspective on it this morning. And if you want to get another one from mine and you didn't catch it earlier, you can check out the Summit Worship Service happening at noon, looking at the woman at the well. But we're going to be in John chapter 4. And to begin thinking about this, I'm sorry, I don't have Slido for you this week. It just didn't, didn't work with where we're headed. But I do want you to think about this question. Where do you go to find a life partner? Maybe you went somewhere to find your life partner, or maybe this is the question in your mind as you're navigating this world in the blessed singleness that you're experiencing. Where do I go to find a life partner? Some of you think back into your mind where you found your spouse, your life partner, the person that you're committed to. Maybe you're sitting next to them right now. You give them a little squeeze of the hand. Uh, maybe they're no longer with us. And that memory brings up some happiness, but some, some tears as well as you think about what has transpired. And others of you are, are thinking in your mind, I've met them, but they don't know that they've met me. We're gonna pray for them and for you very much this morning, lifting you up before God. For me, it was the second floor of the library that sits just across the street on campus. Now, there was this, fine young lady by the name of Melissa who had caught my attention. And I, I really wanted to get to know her a little bit more. And so I was, I was being sly. You know, you bump into her on campus. She was a, a, a village student, lived at home. I was in the dorm, so we couldn't really eat meals at the cafeteria together. But I said, there's got to be a way to get to know her more. And I, I, I kind of, you know, being the uh, upstanding young man that I was found where her study spot was. I look back and think it was like marginally creepy, but I mean, what are you going to do? You're scoping it out. You're trying to run into it, right? And I, I realized that where her study spot was in the second floor of the library was close to a very nice water fountain that produced a very nice and cold water that was refreshing. 
And being the athletic guy I was, being on the gymnastics team, and, you know, that was the, I just, I don't know, there was something about that water on the second floor of the library that tasted better than any other other water I'd get on campus. And she's over there rolling her eyes at me this morning, and then she's rolled her eyes at me on this story before. But I would go and I would fill up my water bottle at that water fountain on the second floor. If you've ever been in the Swalu Library, it's the second floor with the, the, uh, the bathrooms there. There's a little water fountain and her, her study spot was just around the corner. And I would just kind of go fill up my water, bo- water bottle and be like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. How are you today? We would study and talk about life and the things that we were into. Where did you find the person that you fancy, or where do you hope to find them? Today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, and we're going to be taking a little bit of a different approach to this story. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, you know her very well. Jesus comes to Sychar, right, and he's sitting by Jacob's well and happens upon this woman who's there in the middle of the day, and you know she's trying to avoid everybody else, and he says, please give me something to drink, and she says, me? Samaritan woman, you want me to give you a drink? What's up? And he's like, if you knew who was speaking to you, I'd give you living waters. And she's like, I don't get that. This, are you saying you're better than Jacob? Like, what's going on? And he says, yeah, yeah, no, no worries. Just go ahead and call your husband. And she says, I don't have one. He says, yep, you're telling the truth. She's like, whoa, this guy knows some things about me that I'm not sure I want everybody else to know. And she quickly changes the topic to a little bit something less contentious, religion, theology. I don't know. She says, so where do we worship? The Jews say on this mountain and Samaritans say on this mountain. What do you think? You're a prophet. And he says, one day is coming where we'll not worship God here or there, but in spirit and in truth. And then she says, yeah, I know there's the Messiah coming. And Jesus says, I am the one speaking to you. You know this story well. And I could say the prayer and we could sing another song and head out for today. But I want to take a different approach to this story. Normally, I'll take you through the passage and we'll kind of break it down exegetically and I'll exposit stuff from the text, just kind of dig it out and kind of lay it before you. But today, we're going to back out just a little bit and set that aside for a moment. Not that it's not important, but that there's a different lens to this story that will bring about a new understanding of who Jesus is. It's a little bit of a narrative approach. Carissa Quinn puts it this way uh, in an article from the Bible Project, right? She says, the authors of the Hebrew Bible have a particular setting that indicates someone in the story is about to get hitched. When the authors want to portray a man meeting his future bride, the setting is often at a well. Go figure. I met my future wife by a water fountain. (sighs) I think there's some correlation there. I don't know. But this author will posit that this is a type of a a well-meeting pattern, and we'll put this up on the screen for you here. And bear with me for a moment. This is going to get a little bit heady before we get into the text. But there's some other stories in Scripture that there's just this pattern that happens around a well. When when a man is looking for a wife, this way. Now, if you're running down to the little igloo that sits outside of the ABC this afternoon or tomorrow and thinking that sitting by that little well in Keene is going to work for you, I don't know, it might Uh, Praise be, let me know if it does. Uh, But here's what happened for uh, some significant characters in Scripture. Someone journeys to a foreign country, and then the man encounters a woman at the well. And then someone draws water for the well, sometimes the woman, sometimes the man, sometimes somebody else. And then the woman hurries home to bring news of the visitor. She's excited about him just as much as he's excited about her. 
And then there's a display of hospitality. The The visitor stays with the woman's family, and there's mention of a meal. And then finally, the two parties are joined as one. This happens several times in Scripture. We'll leave this on the screen so you can kind of see it visually for the visual learners in the, in, in the room. Do you remember Isaac and, and Rebekah? Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham says, son, we've got to find you a wife. There's nobody in this community that's going to work. Well, that's another sermon for another time. We've got to go to our ancestors. We've got to find somebody from our clan for you to marry. And Abraham sends his servant on a journey to the land of his ancestors. And this servant meets Rebecca at a well. She draws water for him and for his camels. And he's praying beforehand. He says, God, show me the one. If she draws water for me and for my camels, then I'll know that she's the one for my master Isaac. Then she runs to share the news about the visitor with her family. The servant is invited to spend some time with them. And then she returns with the servant and Isaac and Rebecca are wed. Story number two, that one came from Genesis 24. Next one, Genesis 29, Jacob and Rachel. You maybe remember the story. Now, it's Jacob this time, not the servant that's traveling to the land of his ancestors. He meets Rachel at a well, and instead of she watering his flock, he's the one that rolls away the stone and waters her sheep. Gentlemen, take note. Chivalry was not dead then, and it's not dead today. She then runs to tell her family about the visitor. Jacob stays with the family for about a month. And then eventually, because his father-in-law, Laban, kind of messes with him a little bit, he'll immediately marry Leah after seven years of service. And then he'll marry Rachel. Story breaks down a little bit here. And last one from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 2, Moses and Sipporah. Moses travels to Midian. Remember, he's outcast from Egypt. He's killed an Egyptian. He's he's just running away, and he finds himself in Midian. And he comes upon this well, and he encounters Jethro's or Ruel's daughters at a well. And there's some shepherds that were giving the daughters a hard time. And so Moses drives away those shepherds and then waters the flock. And Moses is then invited to a meal and ultimately will marry Zipporah. Have I lost you yet? Three stories in scripture. There's a journey, a woman at the well, a drawing of water, news, hospitality, and then a joining together. Turn your Bibles with me to John chapter four. And as we head there, let's pause for a moment to ask God's presence as we seek his wisdom. God, as we open your word, may you speak to us today. You, the I am, the one speaking to us. We leave that in your hands, and we look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Keep those stories in mind as we turn to John chapter 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize him, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, the place of his home. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Well, well, well. Yeah. And Jesus, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Are your ears percolating yet? 
You're hearing the story. There's a man who's traveling from one place to another and encounters a well. If you're a first century Jew, alarm bells are going off. This is a love story, a story of betrothal, a man seeking a woman. The story continues on. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And she replies to him in verse eight. Oh, he was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Remember, they're not gonna hang out with the Samaritans. And the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? This story is off in all kinds of weird ways because a Jew is at a foreign nation's well and he's talking to a foreign woman. Jews, for one, did not associate with Samaritans. They were kind of the offshoot, the backwater, the the people that we don't even mention their name because they're just so dirty compared to us. And not to mention, Jews didn't talk to foreigners and they also, teachers themselves, weren't supposed to talk to women. Jesus asking this woman for a drink could be tantamount to flirting at this time. And she's got her guard up saying, who are you talking to me? And no doubt she knew of the stories of the men meeting women at the well before. And she's got her spidey senses up. She's saying, I don't know about this. You're talking to me? And the story In this particular instance, we get insight into the dialogue. Jesus replied in verse 10, if you only knew the gift of God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. It was probably about 100 feet deep. Where would you get this living water? She's thinking about the material, the practical, what's right in front of her. She's like, you can do a little magic trick. How are you gonna get this water? And besides, Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? You calling out my heritage? You calling out my my ancestry where I come to get water? Great pickup line. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. In that moment, she's longing for something to fulfill her. She's come to this place to avoid meeting anyone else. She's got a storied past. She in the outcast society is outcast herself. And if she can get a hold of this living water, it means that she doesn't have to come to Jacob's well anymore. She's convinced, but she's not quite sure yet. And then Jesus tells her, go and get your husband. Verse 17. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, verse 18, for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, a lot of people will take this passage and they'll, they'll say, look at her storied past and she was bouncing from man to man and all this kind of stuff. I was talking with Pastor Mike this morning as we're preaching this, the same message and he pointed out to me, it was new to me, that it's likely that it's not her unfaithfulness that has put her in this position. It's the men's unfaithfulness. 
Because if she had committed adultery, the punishment for adultery was death by stones. But she's alive. And if she's the unfaithful one, what man would want to marry her? But it's the men who have promised to keep the covenant and have failed over and over again and cast her aside. To the point now that she's like, as long as I have a roof over my head, I'm okay. I'm done saying the vows. And if we put this in context with man meets woman at a well, Seeking out a bride, could Jesus be the seventh man in her life to restore healing? Jesus, I think, is more speaking to her pain than he is to calling out her sin. Saying there's a place of hurt here. And you've said it correctly. You've been honest with me. And she, being the woman that she is, doesn't want to get this deep with this stranger yet. She says, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Verse 20, immediately changing the subject to a less contentious topic, religion, right? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. Verse 21, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Verse 23, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here right now, maybe He's standing right in front of you. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship them that way. Verse 24, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am am the Messiah. I love this piece of scripture. And the New, the New Living Translation that I'm reading to you this morning gets it right in one way and gets it wrong in the other. They get it right because you notice if the text is on the screen that I am is capitalized. I am, Jesus speaking that, that divine revelation of I am God. I am that I am that he spoke to Moses so long ago. And then the New Living Translation says, I am the Messiah to make it clear. But in Greek it says, I am, yes, the one speaking to you. The one having this conversation right now is the Messiah that you long for. And the Samaritans knew that someone was coming. Their idea of Messiah was a little bit different than the Jews. But nonetheless, they look forward to someone coming one day that would unite the nations. One day, someone that would right the wrong of sin in their lives. And this woman who has been broken by men in the past is standing before someone who will make her whole. And Jesus in that moment says, I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. I'm here with you right now. And imagine for a moment the revelation of Jesus. This is the first revelation of Jesus as the Messiah in the Gospel of John. John reserves this revelation for a Samaritan woman breaking down ethnic and racial divides and breaking down a gender divide. In the book of John, this foreign outcast woman is the first to whom Jesus reveals his identity. 
I think that'll preach. And I think John was intentional about that. I think Jesus was intentional about that too. More on that in a moment. John chapter four, verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. I imagine this part in my mind's eye, you know, the the scene in the movie where something goes down and then somebody's kind of off to the side drinking out of a, a clear soda cup with a straw and it gets right down to the end and you just hear their sucking sound. It's like, I can't can't do it right now. But you got it in your mind, right? And they're just kind of like raising their eyebrows like, ooh, like what just happened here? They were shocked to find him talking to a woman because remember rabbis weren't supposed to talk to women. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? Because for the disciples in this moment, they trusted Jesus implicitly. He was running counterculture to the accepted, uh, accepted ethics of the time. He was treating her with dignity and with respect and breaking down those walls of prejudice that those disciples had held so dear. They didn't have the nerve to ask, why are you talking to her? Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he be the one that's, that's told me everything? See, in this moment, Jesus uses a Samaritan woman to be the first gospel preacher of a new kingdom. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool because I stand on her shoulders. She supports the Christianity that we know today. And she doesn't do it after an altar call. She doesn't do out of persuasion from Jesus. She's encountered the Messiah, the one who's gonna make all things new. And she's compelled to go tell other people about it. She doesn't need anybody else to tell her it's okay. She knows that's the thing that she needs to do. And the story continues. We, gotta, we don't have time today for the part where the disciples are like, Jesus, come eat. And he's like, you don't even know the meal I just had. And they kind of look around and they pull out in their pockets. They're like, who snuck him food? Like, come on, guys. Verse 39, John chapter four. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. Verse 40. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two days. Is the image of the well-meeting pattern coming back? Man meets woman, provides water, and then he's invited to stay under the hospitality of the village. Say long enough for many more to hear his message and believe in verse 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And I love how Carissa puts it in her article, The Bible Project. The news is not of the arrival of a person. Remember there was news about, hey, we have a visitor. It's not the news of arrival of a person who will be united with one woman. It is the good news of the Messiah's arrival and his uniting involves all who would come to him for life. This is where John subverts the love story. He says, you think you know where I'm going, that Jesus is gonna be bound with this woman. I've got so much more in mind. Jesus has so much more in mind that this is a story of betrothal, not just to this woman, but to the entire world. Desire of Ages, page 194, puts it this way. 
The gospel invitation is not to be narrowed down and presented only to a select few who we suppose will do us honor if they accept. The message is to be given to all. Yes, even the Samaritan woman. Whenever hearts are open to receive the truth, Christ is ready to instruct them. Jesus in this story is after the Samaritan woman's heart and he's after your heart and my heart. And he uses her to get to an entire town. People weren't going to believe her because of what had happened to her, but maybe, just maybe, she knows what she's talking about. And people come to understand because they encounter Jesus in a real way. It's a beautiful picture of the grace that God extends. Jesus' message to this woman and to her people is that he, the Messiah, is offering true life. He's offering living water to anyone who would join themselves with him. And by the way, he's the one speaking with you. You're talking face to face. You're having the conversation. So what are some things that we can learn from this story today? Not a story just about boy meets girl, but about Messiah meets the world. You see, Jesus is seeking a covenant relationship with his people. The marriage overtones are there. He's looking for a covenant relationship. And the amazing thing about what Jesus seeks in a covenant relationship is that he keeps both sides. He keeps his side, you bet, his promises are sure, and he keeps your side as well. Because though we fall, though there's things in our lives that come up, the temptations that drag us down, week in and week out, Jesus stepped in and says, my love is this big. I'm going to hold this for you, and I'm going to keep your side of the covenant as well. Jesus is seeking a covenant relationship with you. And Jesus, the great I am, offers living waters to all who would accept. Whether you need it, you need it, you, you, if you're in the balcony, on the floor, if you're watching it online, to me, Jesus offers the living waters that will never run dry the waters that will allow you to live from a place of surety, knowing that God has provided a path of salvation for you. And by the way, Jesus is no respecter of persons. If a Samaritan woman, outcast in her society because of her ethnicity and pushed down because of religion, if Jesus offers that to her, the first gospel preacher can offer it to you and me. Jesus is no respecter of persons. So I don't know where you are this morning. This message this week worked me over in ways that I've not experienced before. The author of living waters, the betrothal imagery that Jesus is after a covenant relationship with you where he's promising to keep both sides. I don't know if you needed to hear that this morning, but I know I did. And today our praise team has one more song that they're gonna share with you. And maybe you know it, maybe you don't, that's all right. The words are gonna be up on the screen, but here's my invitation to you today in this moment. That maybe you and Jesus need to meet at a well. The relationships in your life have gone afoul in the past. You've had empty promises hurled at you, either by an institution or an organization or a person. Or maybe you feel like God's been the one that's let you down. Maybe you need a moment this morning with Jesus at the well of Sychar. 
where he's offering you living waters, where he's prying into the depths of your soul and what you're experiencing, and then speaking to you with tender affection, saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that's having a conversation with you right now. I'm the one that can provide that for you. So if that's you this morning, as the praise team sings the final song, The Commission, I invite you to hear the words of Jesus in this song. You can sit there, you can close your eyes and meditate on the words. You can have a conversation with Jesus. You can stand, you can, whatever you need to do in this moment. I invite you right now to look into the eyes of the one speaking to you. He offers you hope. He offers you assurance. He offers you living waters that will never run dry. And all he asks is that you'll enter into a covenant relationship with him and he'll take care of all the rest. I invite you today, eyes closed, head bowed, whatever you need to do. Be present with the I am, the one speaking to you.